0: Before we get into episode 51 with Connor, I've just got some announcements. Today marks our first episode in February, which means it's donation time. At Outer Rim Reads, I donate $1 for every patron we have to a charity at the start of each month. By the time I'm recording the intro, we have 12 patrons, which means I'm donating $12 to the Trevor Project. In the US, there is currently a large wave of anti trans legislation being proposed or passed, including in my state of Virginia related to sports, education, and healthcare, The Trevor Project works to build a safer, more inclusive world for the LGBTQIA community, and clearly this work is as important as ever. If you want to learn more about what the Trevor Project does, you can do so at thetrevorproject.org. I also want to thank our patrons who make this show possible. I'm so grateful for each of you choosing to support the podcast. Thank you so much. As always, I want to thank Simon, our patron at the Lothal tier, for his incredible above and beyond support. If anyone wants to join our patron family, you can get access to our Discord server and trivia nights, stickers and bloopers, a bonus monthly show, and more at patreon.com slash outer Now for our searcher reading segment. Last episode's question was asking for your favorite moments from the show so far to celebrate Outer Rim Reads being around over two years now. On Twitter, Devor from a larger view of The Force said, The best droid tournament takes the crown for me, seeing as it had me howling at my desk. I can confirm that is the most I've laughed while recording, so go check out episode 21 if you want to give a listen and find out why. On Discord, Doug said, The Amazing Rap Battle, also in reference to episode 21's droid tournament. Seriously, if you haven't caught on yet, go give a listen. You won't regret it. Simon said, The rap battle from episode 21 is definitely up there. Young Gan Jin, from season 2 covering Master and Apprentice, also still lives on in my memory really well. Thank you all for sharing. I love hearing the moments that stand out to you the most while you listen. Now let's get into chapters 28 and 29 of Light of the Jedi. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to Episode 51 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through Star Wars novels across the canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In today's episode, we'll cover Chapters 28 and 29 of Light of the Jedi, and I'm joined by Connor, co-host of Knights of the Nerd Republic. Connor,
1: how is it going today, man? It's going pretty good, Andrew. It's going pretty good. I'm really excited to talk about Light of the Jedi, especially because I haven't read this book ever since I first finished it. So it's just been really fun, even if for just two chapters, being able to revisit it and sort of get some of the emotional impact back again. Is
0: that a good thing? I, I do have to wonder because, you know, there's a there's a lot of just there's a there's a lot that happens in this book. And, you know, in some ways, I think once you finish it, that can be like a good thing. Like, OK, I made it. Get to kind of relax until I jump into the next book. But is is that a
1: good kind of re-experiencing the emotions coming back to these chapters? I mean, in this in, in the case of Chapter 29, yes, because there's a lot of tension, but like also the Jedi help out. So it's a- Give, give and take. I'm
0: excited to, to be able to talk about these chapters today. I was glad with the way that 29 ended. You know, the, I think the and we'll get to that. But I think the the high moments, the good moments, have been almost uh, few and far between in this book. But when they happen, they are really they're really great. But even before we dive into the chapters that we've got today, uh, for the listeners, could you tell them a little bit about your background with Star Wars, how you got involved with this wonderful universe, and then also how you came across Light of the Jedi and your experience with this book uh, when you first picked it up.
1: So my Star Wars story, there's not really much to it because I don't actually remember that much of it. Uh, I remember first movie I saw in theaters was Revenge of the Sith at eight years old. I do remember crying my eyes out at Order 66 because that traumatized me at eight years old. Watched Clone Wars, But then, like, middle school and high school, like, Star Wars just kind of fell off. Not because I didn't hate it or anything, but it was just, like, life. And the movie that actually got me reintroduced to Star Wars was not Force Awakens, oh, but actually Rogue One. Mainly because it came out my freshman year of college, so I had more time to, like, dedicate to other Star Wars stuff. And so I was pretty big into the canon Expanded Universe, reading a few of the books, some of the comics, and by the time of The High Republic releasing, I think I've I've kept up decently well. I've kept afloat. I'm not drowning. At least I think I hope. At least I don't think I am. But with The High Republic, actually, I almost didn't get into The High Republic, funny enough, because... It wasn't that the marketing for it wasn't bad. It was the mere fact that they were books and comics. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep up with these. Because, like, I'm such a slow reader. I don't know if I can do it. But then I watched the live stream that the authors did, like, the day before Light of the Jedi released. And the second I finished that live stream, I I just went on Amazon, pre-ordered all three of the books... I think it was Light of the Jedi, Test of Courage, uh, Into the Dark. I haven't looked back since. I've been pretty much, as of this recording, I've read pretty much all of The High Republic. I think the only book I haven't finished yet is Mission to Disaster, which is the book that takes place chronologically before Fallen Star. But I'll probably finish that someday because I've been keeping up with The High Republic, which is very surprising to me. And it's just phenomenal, but we'll get into that. I mean, that's an impressive feat. First of all, congrats for not drowning
0: currently, because like the amount of Star Wars content that's out there is just absolutely bonkers. But that's uh, also an impressive feat to, you know, be able to keep up with just how much. You know, we were talking a little bit off-air about just how much there is to the higher Republic, from you know the adult novels to you know,
1: I uh, don't. Adult- <laughs> like to the, the comics adult novels, and- to the middle grade, to the comics, to like everything they're planning, except for one video game. Yeah, but um, yeah. it's just phenomenal the amount of stuff that they've been planning and doing for the last few years or so, and it's just the tip of the iceberg. Honestly, Light of the Jedi, Rise and Storm and Fallen Star, probably the best Star Wars trilogy out there. And I think the High Republic saga is going to be the best saga out there. That's just a prediction of mine. I think that's going to be the case for me.
0: The listeners have heard it here first. Uh, this take will be engraved uh, for all to, to for all to look back to to when we realize that you were right this whole time. I mean, I'm very impressed, like with how much. You know, again, I think. All I really like know in depth to this point is is these chapters, but I still like have heard of you know reactions and you know how people are feeling about the High Republic, and I think it's it's incredible with how much emotional distress and pain that the High Republic has caused people. The ability for it to keep readers and consumers hooked all the same, like to to keep wanting more, uh, it's it seems like such a a wonderful effect uh you know and and I can't I can't imagine how the authors must feel like too, seeing that and like how well it's being received and to see their work you know paying off in this way you know because I don't think I've seen one person kind of in the in the healthy side of the fandom who is who is who hates the high republic you know i think everyone seems to be collectively on board and so i i applaud you for keeping up with everything that's coming out with it and and also for for having the courage to revisit uh, light of the jedi even for a couple of chapters
1: (laughs) Uh, it's just really interesting revisiting it with everything that i know now the one thing i really 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 adored about Light of the Jedi, and I know you've talked about this before... Because it was like pretty much in the beginning... Was like how retroactively... I call it retroactive continuity in this case... How each Jedi can like perceive the force... Like Bell sees it like fire... Avar sees it like a song... Elzar sees it like an ocean or a sea... It's just... That's the type of stuff in Star Wars that just gets me so hyped... Because it's like, ooh... Now... What, how does Ahsoka see it? How does Cal see it? How does, like, how do all these Jedi from after the High Republic view the Force now? It's those questions that, like, they're not necessarily answers to, like, big cosmic Force questions in Star Wars. Like, who, like, who really is the Chosen One? Or Anakin, but, like, that's always up for debate, apparently. Or who shot first. or (laughs) Or who shot first, right? And, like, but the real important thing is that, like, They help, those little moments really help, like, strengthen the characters, every single one of them. So, that was just really cool, and I was like, holy shit, in, like, the best way possible when I read that, I was like, wow, that is, it's like Ahsoka says in Rebels, uh, we'll paraphrase because I don't remember the exact quote, like, if you think you know much about the Force, you find out how very little you know. And this is the case with the High Republic, and just... I think Star Wars publishing in general, I think because it's so niche, like the authors can just go wild with the possibilities.
0: I'm glad that you know you brought up uh, just the way that each Jedi perceives the Force. That's been something, I think if, if I were to pick a few things that have stood out to me most in this book, it has been how the Force is depicted and also how it translates to each individual Jedi's experience. I think it speaks a lot about like, who they are as a Jedi, who they are as a person, and, and I think it's just, it's really cool to see the, you know, if the Force is is described as, like, the living Force, you know, kind of penetrates everything, binds everything, and to see it then, you know, to to read about it in all of these different manifestations through their perspectives, it, it makes sense, you know, why shouldn't the Force be kind of perceived as all of these things if it, you know, if it in fact is supposed to kind of connect all of the things around us, you know, in in the galaxy. I think it just, it makes sense. Yes. Um, I do want to take a a brief tangent, just because you had mentioned Cal Kestis briefly, uh, you know, because I, I know that you are a big uh, Fallen Order fan, uh, a big fan of Cal. If I were to put you on the spot now and ask you, you know, Cal's biggest fan, how you think... His perception of the force manifests. How do you how do you think that Cal experiences the force? You know, in a, in a you know with like Bell as fire and and uh, Loden as the wind. How does
1: Cal experience the force? So this is this question is honestly kind of answered already because I actually oh, I no 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 because no, I kind of <laughs> asked it to Matt Martin on Twitter and because I asked him about just like the meditation points and sort of the purplish broken design. And he's like, it's meant to be more stylized than completely literal, but, like, the key is that it's basically how Cal personally would manifest the Force, and so, like, the purple Nexus thingy, I don't know how else to describe it, that, like, you see in the meditation points. I hadn't hadn't thought about that. (laughs) That being, like, literally in front of us
0: the way that he kind of perceives it with the... Uh, in those meditative uh, s- uh,
1: sequences or screens, yeah. uh, <laughs> I also forgot. Loden views it as wind because I was thinking about. Because I remember right when Light of the Jedi came out, and like a bunch of a bunch of people on Twitter were saying like, "How would you think you perceive the Force?" And like a lot of people like had really good answers and really unique answers. And I'm out here like I could not tell you whatsoever. And then it kind of came to me like. A few days ago, where it was like I think I perceive it as wind or rain, and now I'm pretty sure it's just going to be rain because Loden already took wind.
0: <laughs> yeah, once once a Jedi kind of like you know claims that, then then no one else can perceive it the same. Honestly, way. Honestly, <laughs> I
1: wonder if that's actually the case. That's actually a good question.
0: Maybe that was the reason for the downfall of the Jedi because there was so much infighting over different claims to perceptions of the Force, where you know. Too many Jedi wanted to perceive the Force in the same way and they kind of crumbled like the Sith and then that's how they ended up kind of as they were in the in the prequels because there was just so much fighting over everyone wanting to perceive the Force <laughs> in the same I way. I
1: wish that were the case with what has happened in uh, Phases 2 and 3. I really wish that was the case. <laughs> that
0: can be my innocent headcanon uh, as I move forward until I am proven wrong. <laughs> Well, we do have a couple of interesting chapters today. Both are tense in their own ways. Both have kind of very different endings to the tension. So how about I give my summary for chapter 28 and then we can talk about Kassav. Aboard the new elite, Kassav hypes up his crew as they prepare to arrive to the Iriadu system for their next mission. As they travel through hyperspace, the Tempest Runner reflects on the Paths and Markeon Rose role within the Nihil. Kasav is annoyed at the unique leverage that Markeon has over the three Tempest Runners, and ponders what it might take to find out where the Paths come from. Upon arriving to Eriadu, Kasav attempts to strike a deal with the local planetary governor, Mural Veen. Either she sends 50 million credits to Kasav's personal account, or the newly arrived Nihil will let three impending Emergences wreak havoc on the system. After Kassav stops one Emergence and lets the second happen in order to prove his point, Governor Veen gives in to the demands. However, the last Emergence goes horribly wrong, earning Kassav the vengeance and wrath of Iriadu. This was a really interesting glimpse into kasav as a character uh very evil dude uh, as we'll discuss but what were your kind of general thoughts on
1: chapter 28 before we walk through it i thought it was pretty good as much as i love the high republic one of the things i don't really commit to memory and this is just me not that it's like written terribly it's just the structure of the nihil. like off the top of my head i really could not tell you how it goes Because, like, I just haven't committed it to memory yet. And you'll see this in every book, Andrew, where, like, literally, even the young adult, even the middle grade novels, they'll just tell, they'll just straight up, like, say, oh, this is the Nihil structure. And it's just such a good thing to be reminded of it. So it was just really interesting to see that sort of structure written out, as well as sort of Cassav uh, Cass uh, Cassive Ah, whatever. <laughs> There's no, There's right, no way. right way. It's like ATAT and Adat or Martian and Marchion. It's
0: I think with ATAT and Adat there there is a there oh, is God. a right way. Depends on which side of history you want to be on.
1: <laughs> like, I just love the fact that like we start off this chapter with Cassaf just getting absolutely high. And just like all this like wreck punk music going on in his uh Tempest. Uh, location sort of thing and it's just like how he's like how does Martian have all these uh how's have all this leverage over us like where do the paths come from it's just really interesting because like it shows a ton of tension between Martian Row and the many Tempest runners and like I said before that is re- that is greatly expanded upon in pretty much all the books and comics, especially Tempest Runner, which is a audio drama by Kevin Scott, much like how he did with Dooku Jedi Lost. So, like, that really gets into it, and that kind of gets into, like, a bit of his origins. But, like, okay, to backtrack, it's funny enough, Avar and the Nihil were kind of the same thing for me, where I didn't really much—I liked them— but they didn't really resonate with me that much. But the more we get on them in the High Republic, I'm like, no, okay, I see why people like Avar, really like Avar, and I see, re- I really see why people really like the Nihil. And it's just that back and forth between the Tempest runners and um, Martian Rowe. It's just, ugh. It's incredible i love how everyone is like i want to take him down well not everyone but like most people are like i want to take him down it's a very interesting dynamic that kasav does
0: shed a lot of a lot of light on in his kind of inner ruminations while he is high because uh, <laughs> i mean we'll, and, and we'll we'll get to that i did think it was absolutely wild that the chapter did begin with them like he and his crew just all getting super high before going on this mission <laughs> like they're they're taking puffs of this like smash bulb and then he also is like popping pills and uh, i think he uh, he says what like feels good don't it feels like the nihil right and i'm like i guess the nihil feels like drugs confirmed (laughs) like and then with like the rec punk in the background it's like the whole vibe of the nihil is just totally confirmed
1: in this chapter i love how crazy and just unorganized they are but at the same time how organized they are because it says on like page 224 any jobs that used that used the paths ...require a full vote of the three Tempest Runners plus the Eye. And any tie vote went the Eye's way. It's just like... That's just insane. Because these are a bunch of Space Vikings... ...that shouldn't have any... ...structure... Yet their structure is just so fascinating and just sort of the divide between the top and the Tempest, really. It's just, oh, I can't sing its praises enough, like what they've done.
0: Now that you've mentioned it and I see that you are a big fan of how it's portrayed, uh, because we do get a lot of information about that in this chapter, let's talk about that. Because, you know, we, we already know that there is kind of explicit tension between Markion and Kasav. They'd have a, they'd have a couple of run-ins so far where we already know that they don't get along very well necessarily. And then we we find out here in this chapter that Kasav kind of admits to himself like, you know, even if I have to put Markion at knife point, you know, to find out where these paths come from, like he would do that. But we learn about Kasav's frustrations here because of the system and the dynamic between the Eye and the Tempest Runners where, you know, in exchange for the Paths, the Eye, whether that's, you know, Asgaro before Markeon or now Markeon, they get a vote in the Nihil's decisions, like you had mentioned with kind of the the Eye's vote being the tiebreaker if there is a tie. Which means that the three Tempest Runners are always against each other in some way. They're kind of like trying to win over Markion's favor in order to like have his vote in a decision, as well as, like, the paths, which obviously, like, keeps the leadership of the Nihil unstable and Markion's position very secure, which is just very, very, like, brilliant. And and just, like, having that laid out in front of us, what did you think about, kind of, Kasav thinking about that and realizing how they all know, kind of, that Markion is playing them against each other, but they have to go along with that system in order to get, like, his
1: vote, and the paths. It was just fascinating to read about. It was, and I think with Cassette, with Kasav, I think he's just kind of like one of the, uh, he feel okay, well, okay, he's an idiot, but, like, he feels very Nihil in that he just wants chaos for the sake of chaos. But, like, at the same time, I think he's curious enough about Martian's sort of, what's he got going on, that, like, if push comes to shove, he might wanna uh, might he might wanna take a crack at the leadership. But like he's also gotta worry about his three storms, his three base his three lieutenants basically. And like, what are they gonna do? Are they gonna backstab me? Are they gonna support me? It's a lot of moving parts in this structure, and it's just so fascinating. I know that the Sith are not
0: in the High Republic, as far as I have read, as far as I have 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 seen. But it's kind of very Sith-like, with all this infighting, vying for control, like a lot of backstabbing, you know, kind of moving against each other while also working with each other at the same time. So it's kind of reminds me of the Sith in in a lot of ways. And, you know, you had mentioned his three storms, his three lieutenants. Uh, there's uh, Graven, Delix, and... Wetbub, um, <laughs> I know that last episode there was a Nihil member named Buggo, and now there's Wetbub. What do you think about the Hills
1: names? Like, you know, we already know that the structure is bonkers and whack. <laughs> I, I love them. I love how bonkers their names are, and like, I, I especially love how with Wetbub, Charles goes into like a bit of how he got that name. And like, and I especially love how he specifies that he never killed anyone that like mentioned the name, so he se- so he seemed to have liked it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just he owns really, it well. Yeah, he oh he yeah he wears it well, and um, I just really like how he just went into the descriptions of the three storms to sort of give them some personality. So they're just such a great antithesis to the Jedi here. That, like, you know, we get the Jedi getting personality, but we also get their enemies with personality.
0: Very starkly different personalities as well. Just, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, we have, like, the mellow kind of uh, just calming presence of Avar Chris, And then we have Graven, who, like, oh, yeah, he d- I saw him tear a guy in half, like, with his bare hands one time. And then there's, like, Delix, who is pretty much cyborg, like, always adding droid parts to herself, I think, which is pretty cool, in light of one of the recent Book of Boba episodes with the, the, the mods yep. Uh, yep. It, it, was, it was cool to, to see that kind of uh, on this page like, and then also on, on the screen as well and then Wetbub who is literally a bloodthirsty Gungan so we know where Darth Jar Jar gets his origins yes. from uh, with Wetbub <laughs> <laughs> Wetbub is the key to
1: all this yes Wet
0: <laughs> last uh, episode was predicted that Bugo would overthrow Markeon and now we know that Wetbub is the key Key to everything in the
1: galaxy. So, uh, yep, <laughs> the pieces are coming together yep. slowly but surely. The High Republic is really piecing together the prequels.
0: Yes, in and in ways that no one would have specifically. Seen. <laughs> so, <laughs> you had mentioned about kind of the the structure of the Nihil and like how they shouldn't really have such a sound structure, but they do. And this, uh, we get to some of Kasav's thoughts here where he thinks that even though the Nihil give off this image of like, oh, freedom, you know, breaking the chains of the galaxy, you know, to hell with the Republic, they are still just as rigid in their own way. You had talked about their hierarchies, how like there's still a lot of structure there where he's thinking, quote, the Nihil was just another form of control. And I wonder how long that illusion will last you know there's a lot of people that join them because they think like oh you know break free of control but it seems like that at least to me reading that it feels like another ticking time bomb in of itself where like how long will that facade last and and I just it was another thing to wonder about for me but it seems like it's an act that I wonder how long it will take until someone breaks through the front
1: you won't be entirely wrong to think that. I don't know in in what way you think it's going to go, but I can assure you, you're not on the wrong track.
0: They end up arriving to Iriadu, which... I had remembered the name from somewhere before, and it's actually Tarkin's Homeworld, so that was a a nice kind of callback there. I was like, I I know that name, and so a quick Google search confirmed that there. I love when they appear out of hyperspace, Wetbub slices into the main kind of comm channel, and we get this quote, who is this? This is a restricted comm network, said Mural Veen, the planetary governor, and what the hell is that? Music. <laughs> like, I absolutely died at that point. <laughs> Just the rec punk in the background, and Cassava's like, "Oh, forgot to turn down the Spotify before we rolled <laughs> up." Uh,
1: now I'm gonna. Uh, now I gotta look up a Nihil Spotify. There's gotta be. There's gotta be a Nihil Spotify playlist
0: out there. If there isn't, there needs to be. Like now, starting now, someone needs to make a rec punk. <laughs> playlist that would like what is Kasav's playlist that he rolls up to
1: Iriadu playing it was just so funny it was like what just what <laughs> and just I love his whole like scheme of like oh give us 50 million give us me really 50 million credits and you know we'll save your people from these emergencies and it's like I totally forgot that like it all goes to his account until it's like said and I'm like you son of a Gungan. <laughs> <laughs> son of <laughs> wet pub son. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so it's just it's just really again really reinforces that the nihil, they're freaking crazy and they'll do anything... they'll do anything in their self interest. I mean, this
0: is like we know that there is kind of the rule of three where they split the profits of their missions, but then you're right, like here Kasav is. Kind of going behind the others, kind of stabbing them in the back, which just seems very typically or very typical of the Nihil. And yeah, he's taking this fifty million for himself, you know. And and he, I think, has the thought to not even return to the Nihil. Like, I have fifty million credits. Why would I need to go back for any other job? So it, it was just very interesting there. And as soon as he kind of admitted to himself or kind of we read that he was going against the others kind of they didn't know that he was making this ploy i knew that it couldn't go well like there was ha- there had to be a catch like he can't get away with this and as we find out in in a way he does not but also in a way he does you know he does get the money as we find out but it was just a very brilliant plan by Kassav and this was something there's been a lot of vivid moments in this book but I think this chapter felt like I could feel the tension on the page where we know what's at stake there's literally three emergencies about to happen Uh, you know he does stop the first one they they blast it out of the sky you know and uh, I I do want to make a note that they do so even though Kassav knows that the first one to emerge was a fully intact compartment and that there had been living beings on board, like other emergencies. But he's like, oh, not my problem, as long as I get the money. It's, it's, it was so cold. It was so cold from him, which I shouldn't be surprised, but it was very chilling to read, where he's just okay with just death, as long as he gets what he wants. It was very chilling. There was, uh, I think, with the second emergence there, it was also kind of another cold moment where he literally says, you could have stopped what happens next, Governor. Remember that. As the emergence happens, it takes out, like, a few cargo ships, hundreds of people die. You know, he's playing this really well. I hate him for it, but he's playing it really well. But I don't know about you when you were reading this, but I was, like, feeling a lot of, like... I don't know about like anger, but just frustration towards Kasav. Like this chapter did a good job of making you really dislike this guy. I don't know if that had the same effect, like very kind of, I I felt it when I was reading it, you know, it's just, he was playing it off very well. And I think uh, Charles wrote it it, to feel that way.
1: Yeah, I think I'm trying to remember actually what my first intent, what I first thought when I read this chapter, you know, I can't really remember. So I'm just going to go off of what I, off of my recent reread rereading it i was like this feels a bit too easy for this guy there's gotta be a catch somewhere like he can't really get away with this and then it you know finds out that like the third emergence crashes into one of it. Is is it one of one of eradu's area Iri- iriadu's moons killing 1.2 billion people and he's like oh I uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the nihil now.
0: I was glad that he did cop that L uh at the end, but I I did also appreciate that he was you know as each emergence happened because he was trying to win them over. You know, like here are the coordinates. You can stop this. You know, he he gave them some control in the moment if they chose to to take it. But he also felt nervous while this was happening because. Like, you know, he needed to get to the spot of the third emergence fast, you know, otherwise they like the act wouldn't sell as well the next time. And and I thought it was still kind of like comforting to know that he wasn't in complete control there and he knew it. You know, he's putting up this front like I'm your best friend. I'm your savior. Yeah. You need me. But at the same time, he didn't have all the answers. So I felt good about reading that i was like yeah no he's still feeling nervous about this this isn't a cakewalk for him there's still a lot on the line here so it was kind of comforting to to see that yeah he felt the tension too so i uh, i don't know that was a nice little kind of reprieve when reading that that yeah no he's not necessarily enjoying this as much as he made it seem
1: yeah and there's like there's a meme i'll have to send you because it's like not really a spoiler because like it kind of just sets up everything with the sort of cast of subplot at this point it's just like probably one of the best high republic memes i've ever seen and i just get a kick out of it every single time yeah
0: Um. (laughs) (laughs) i'm excited to see that because he does seem like he could be created into a very memeable character uh and and i just i want things to not go his way so any way to laugh at him in the face of his evil is, is i'll take that i'll take that i think you'll be satisfied I think judging on the way that this chapter ends, judging by the way that things ultimately go for him in this chapter, I think that sounds about right, Uh, because we do find out that during the chapter, Governor Veen says that, you know, we're transmitting this conversation to Senator Noor, like we have your ship scanned, we know your name. So it's setting up for him to get tracked down, which I appreciated a lot. With the third emergence that happens, you know, Delix messed up her calculations. They flew to totally the wrong spot and missed it entirely. Like you said, 1.2 billion people dead right there. And even the bridge of the new elite, Kasav's ship, was silent when that happened. Like, no one was laughing anymore. No one was chuckling. I, I In my mind, like, the rec punk just stops like just the music stops playing because they know they messed up big time and i took some satisfaction when kind of governor veen breaks the silence there vowing her vengeance and quote her voice was maybe the coldest thing kasav had ever heard And so even he knows that was not ideal, (laughs) you know, that even with like the 50 million, now he's most likely going to get tracked down. But I just I felt the silence of the bridge when that happened, because obviously we as a reader are like, Jesus Christ, like 1.2 billion people just dead right there. And it it felt also good, though, that Kasav and the others knew that that was not supposed to happen and that they messed up. So it was a bad ending, like, as far as people dying. But also it sets up Kasav to be hunted down, tracked down to get his comeuppance, which made me feel somewhat better there. Because I just, I want this guy to pay. I want him to pay. But And it seems like that is being set up now with with Governor
1: Veen vowing her vengeance. Yep. Just read on. That's all I have to say. Just right. read on.
0: <laughs> then Governor Veen vowing her vengeance. That's that's a nice alliteration yep. there. Veen uh, vowing uh, her vengeance. <laughs> I noticed v- after
1: oh I said God. that. Trust saying that four <laughs> times fast.
0: Right. It seems like kind of cold vengeance might be a theme from Iriadu, like with how Tarkin ends up and then here Governor Veen. It seems like the aesthetic of the planet, but I was glad to see that Kasav might very well get his comeuppance there, uh, which it was just a little bit of a gift when the chapter ends compared to kind of how poorly it went in general kind of being at the mercy of him throughout the entire chapter as the reader and also as like Iriadu and the reader were all at his mercy kind of throughout the chapter until the end when that changed a little bit
1: yep I love how he was like so adamant on like you know the Nihil aren't isn't my thing I'm just gonna be my own person and then at the very end he's like Back to the Nihil. Yeah,
0: you got it. Like, he knows that he is not safe if he strikes out on his own because they've got his name, they've got his number, they've got his ship. (laughs) Something good. Something good. Yeah, something good. We'll take the good where we can get it in this book, I think. Yes. (laughs) Yes. We've got chapter 29 next. I can give my summary for that and then we can read about probably an even tenser chapter than this one in its own way. On the Rooted Moon, in the Hetzal system, Kevin Tarr prepares to bring the newly crafted Navajroid array online. Droids have been requisitioned from all across the Republic, and the Santecas made good on their promise to send navigators to aid the project as well. After the Jedi had saved the system, Kevin feels the pressure mount as all eyes are on him and his improbable feat. Although Senator Noor and his aide express their doubts, Kevin activates the array and its tens of thousands of droids. While the array does its work, portraying the Legacy Run's disaster as it happened, as well as the known emergencies that followed, Kevin notices the droids begin to rapidly overheat. Despite his best efforts, hundreds of droids start to overload under the immense strain of their calculations. However, Avar Chris and El use the force ingeniously to save the day. This was uh, kind of in theme of the entire book a roller coaster ride. Yes, uh, I'm, I'm glad that it did end in a in a positive way. What were your thoughts and impressions on chapter twenty nine and everything that went down here before we dive into it?
1: So I will say, with like the science-y stuff in Star Wars, especially with how it's described in books, I almost always get lost because like the way I'm probably envisioning it isn't the way that probably Charles Soule, was envisioning it when he wrote it. So it was just really kind of... It wasn't hard to follow because of his writing. It was hard to follow because I'm just not that great when visualizing most stuff in Star Wars. But I really felt the tension with Keevan. Kevin, Keevan, 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 Keevan. Because there's... Because, there, like, I can't... I Every time I read his name and, like, typed it into my notes, it almost always autocorrected to Keeve the one Jedi in the comic, the main Jedi in the, uh, Kevin Scott comics. So I was just like, Oh, it's key. Ki- Kevin Ki- or Kevin. I don't even know how. It, yes. Yeah, whatever. There is no wrong answer in pronunciations until we get a pronunciation guide. You are always honestly, right. <laughs> the audiobook might serve as that. The one thing I really liked about this chapter is that it really shows how like one person can help affect positive change and sort of just, how unified the Republic is at this moment because you have the Jedi helping helping Keevan along with the Senators trying to do their best and, like, it really drives home the point. We are all the Republic. And the one thing that I always found really, really, really interesting about Light of the Jedi and just the High Republic in general is that hyperspace is in its infancy here. Like, when they revealed that, I was like, what like 200 years before what they
0: hadn't even like barely scratched the surface 200 years before you know it's it's
1: so fascinating it's insane to think about because of just how developed it seems by the time of Phantom Menace it's like you had to go through an insane process to get from where you are in the high republic to where you are at the start of Phantom Menace So everything with the nano droid, with the, uh, Navidroids and everything, I thought that was really cool. Avar and Elzar showing up when, I'm just going to call him Kevin, when he was like, I've failed the people, I don't think we're going to succeed. When they showed up, I, like, got teary-eyed. I was like, god damn, this really got me in the emotions.
0: You really feel it. You really feel it. Like, especially being in his perspective through the chapter and knowing the pressure that he is kind of in some ways unfairly putting on himself but also there is a lot of warranted pressure on him just with the nature of what he's doing you really feel it the whole way and so you're right like when avar kind of rests her hand on his shoulder and like says you know be calm or whatever when they when they kind of do their thing yeah it was emotional stuff
1: (laughs) yeah and just like seeing Elzar sort of, you know, try to use the force the way he does, I thought that was just really cool how they were able to, like, summon rain and clouds, basically, and just the fact that, like, Keevan, like, spliced hyperspace, and, like, I don't know how you visualize it, but I just could not visualize it for the life of me. I just had no clue what was going on, really. Again, the science stuff in Star Wars just Always just throws me for a loop.
0: I I thought the you know because he mentioned a couple times in the chapter like trying to slice hyperspace. You know I thought that was an interesting way of framing it because I I saw what they were trying to do you know, like with predicting where the next emergencies would happen based on kind of the trajectory and paths of the previous emergencies of where the legacy run ended up. So like I saw that and that that was fine. I I just didn't necessarily understand why he referred to it as slicing hyperspace uh, you know i don't know if that was just uh, charles going for a cool way to say what what he did you know probably maybe a little unnecessarily like they give give it a little pizzazz a little a little flash but um i did want to mention you know First, I guess off the bat, uh, 57,817 droids in this array, just to just kind of have that number in mind when kind of visualizing the size of this thing, uh, you know, because you had would, you would also mentioned the coordinated effort of the Republic, you know, we are all the Republic really translated into what was able to happen here with droids from all over the galaxy, from everyone from like politicians and you know to kind of just common citizens chipping into this effort and the santecas had sent some navulators and they're described as having implants around their shaved heads which allowed them to run calculations with like droid-like precision which uh, we know someone like
1: that from empire strikes back
0: it's lobot
1: yep. <laughs> how is it i literally just got that too like when you i think because you said it out loud i was like oh that's Lobot.
0: There's a dozen Lobots. It was just. <laughs> it was great. I loved just reading that. Like, uh, we get some High Republic Lobots. So that was. <laughs> I, I loved reading that. So I guess with the system just kind of describing what is happening here, it had three elements to it. The first kind of created the computer simulation of the original disaster, the second modeled the emergencies that happened. Uh, So far, I think there was 33 of them that had happened. And the third, which was the most difficult, predicts where the next emergencies will be based off of all of that. And I have to say, it is emphasized a lot in this chapter, in Kevin's perspective, how difficult this is. Even for almost 58,000 droids, but Mari Santeca can do all of that on her own, which is absolutely wild to me i was just floored by that seeing how much effort it takes and for her to be like in the other chapter oh yeah just like let me eat my dinner and then i can do that like right right away it was just it was absolutely wild just how powerful Mari santeca is
1: yep it's um yep let's all I'll
0: say yep yep the odds are in whose favor Fifty-eight thousand navigational
1: droids or One woman. (laughs) (laughs) It's like that meme. Like, who would win? 58,000 navigational droids. One woman. The woman.
0: (laughs) 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 My thought went to that that meme template there. And we do find out that Avar and Elzar are there, along with some other notable persons as well. I did think, you know, you had, uh, in the previous chapter, kind of drawn the contrast between... The Jedi and the Nihil as far as like their kind of their characterizations, their personalities here. I kind of got the same vibes with Kevin and the Nihil here where, he, you know, we kind of learn a lot about his upbringing, his backstory, how he, uh, you know, rose through the ranks to be where he is today. He was like pretty much a, a brilliant child. You know, he, he was just super smart and, you know, he's thinking that he still acted within the boundaries of bureaucracy as like frustrating as that could be like he believed he quote believed in law and he believed in the republic and he decided long ago that the only way he could ever work with the really significant systems was if he could earn those privileges through his skill and dedication so like in a way he feels like almost the physical embodiment of what the nihil are not where you know he like they're trying to break the system manipulate it to their needs but he is like devoted to the system you know i I know with like the Nihil and the jedi that's a very obvious contrast but here it feels like kevin himself is kind of almost the antithesis to what the Nihil stand for as far as their relationship to the system and and how they navigate it
1: that's actually really interesting and again i'm glad to be on here because like i don't think i would have ever picked that up i i just don't think i would have um ever seen that comparison before because like i think it really helps too that like he's kind of a regular citizen of the republic too and it's like again unification over fragmentation we are all the republic versus whatever the nihil are sort of thing yeah that's actually really interesting and again like going back to it like one person can affect positive change. It kind of reminds me of the Matthew Stover Revenge of the Sith novel quote. The dark is generous, and it is patient, and it always wins. But in the heart of its strength lies its weakness. One lone candle is enough to hold it back. Love is more than a candle. Love can ignite the stars. So, like, that's kind of the same thing here. That's one little candle can help hold back the darkness. That is really great. I love that
0: connection. Uh, I think I'd forgotten that quote from, you know, a fantastic read. I love that, though. Like, we see, because I guess in the span of the galaxy, like, one person can feel so small compared to all the forces that are at work there, especially when we see what the Nihil are capable of and and how far they can reach, and, and it's, like, their expanse. But then you're right. Like Kevin Tarr, one person here, granted he did have help, but really the idea s- sprouted from him. It sparked from him how one person can still enact kind of visible, tangible change. And and that's a beautiful quote to kind of, you know, put that into more elegant words than I could ever. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but, no, same here. Matt, Matt Stover's writing is just uh, something else. It was beautiful.
0: Uh, I would love to cover that book uh in the future on the show. It's uh, absolutely fantastic. We do find out we get some familiar faces here. Uh if we remember Petty Officer Inamin and what was I forget his pr- anyway, we get Chief Inamin and Lieutenant Peoples. So our guys got promoted, they made it. Peoples even tried to swap his rank with Inamin. So what Like what a guy. It was just, I loved seeing them kind of involved again. I wasn't sure how much from Act 1, from Part 1, would kind of move on to the next. You know, as, as the book moves along, we did see Joss and Pika Adrin again, but to see Inamin and Peoples again, I loved it. There was also a hilarious moment when Kevin hears over the comms, quote, Peoples, get your toe out of there. What do you think you're... Oh, that's actually a pretty good idea, I guess. So I want to know, because they're working on the array, I want to know what Peoples was doing there, sticking his toe somewhere to figure something out. Um, But we do also kind of get a shift in tone here where, like we've mentioned, like we've talked about, there is a lot of pressure going on here for Kevin. And he secretly wishes that he had more data to work with for this to be more precise, but that means... He wishes more emergencies would have happened so far to contribute to that data and don't like don't get me wrong here. He seems like a great guy, but that was still a bit dark. Yes, you know, I don't like I know that the payoff would be massive, but like that was a moment where I wondered how far would this guy be willing to go for science? It was kind of an uncharacteristically dark moment there, kind of just thrown in. But it seems like you picked up bu- that you picked up on that too.
1: Yeah, I just like rereading it. I was like, "Oh God, that is uh that is horrifying." Because it, it kind of remind it reminds me of the phrase "the ends justify the means." Like that would be such that's such an application of that part in the book in the chapter. I also just love all the political stuff in this book because again, like. The one thing a lot of people weren't big on in the prequels and it's been rehashed and rehashed and rehashed over and over and over again was just too much politics or whatever and like clone wars balanced it out and like even the high republic is like it's a really nice balance we get the political situation in the high republic but we also get the really cool like nihil jedi moments that really kind of makes Star Wars Star Wars. So
0: Star Wars is political, you know, yep. in its own galaxy and also uh, externally as well. Uh, and we also get some kind of political dynamics with Senator Noor and his aide, kind of talking about the situation here. His aide is a uh, Chagrian or ch- uh, Chigrian, Chagrian Chagrian, uh, I don't know how to pronounce the species, but uh, the name is uh, Jenny Wataro and uh, I googled shagrians and that is mas amada's species which is who's palpatine's aid yep. and senator newer thought to himself quote every politician could use a shagrian aid and i just i <laughs> like i feel like the camera just pans to palpatine there, just like we're looking straight at you man it was just <laughs> it was kind of meta to read that where it's like oh i wonder where we've seen that before
1: <laughs> and it works too because like for a person who's just picking this up and doesn't really know much about Star Wars and this is their entry point, like that's just oh, that's just a really nice line or something, or like it's just they think it's a throwaway line. But like for you and I it's like Ah I see you, Charles. We look at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We pan over to Senator Sheev Palpatine. <laughs> oh
0: he's here. <laughs> it was Palpatine like, oh, that's, a, it's Pal- that's a good idea. It's Palpatine all along. He's even got his hands in the High Republic. God damn it. (laughs) But I guess in kind of this, in this scene, it's a very brief cutaway. Basically, they're skeptical of this, you know, going through all this effort and expenses for something that's not even guaranteed to work. And Jenny proposes, you know, hey, why don't you run against Chancellor So if you want to see change happen, if, if you're not satisfied with this. And so, like, you know, perhaps a new challenger enters the arena in, in Senator Newark. he says, oh, you know, may- pretty much, like, maybe you're on to something. But I don't know about you when you were go- going through this chapter again. It didn't really feel like it fit with the flow of the chapter. It was a very, like, brief cutaway, kind of disjointed from... I don't know, just get, getting kind of consistently in Kevin's POV and Avar's POV. But that was all like connected where was kind of a very sudden brief cutaway to their conversation. It felt almost like thrown in there a little bit to me. I don't know. It, it's I think it serves the job of setting up his frustrations with how things are going. We know that he wasn't happy with Chancellor So and her hyperspace closures, but I don't know. It kind of felt like it messed up the flow of the chapter a bit to me when I was reading it. I don't know if you felt the same way, but it it, it felt kind of disjointed with the pace of the chapter. That might be the first time that I, that I am critical of a decision of Charles, like, you know, 29 chapters into the book. I don't know if you felt the same way, but it just kind of felt thrown in there for me. No,
1: I can definitely see... Um... Where you're coming from with it. Uh, I actually did not think of that when I was reading it. I was just like, oh, cool. we're getting more uh, story with the politics of the High Republic. So like in the case, I think in the case of just the grand sort of getting that grand story of, you know, we're unveiling the politics of the higher the political situation of the High Republic, it's a really nice info, a little a little info blurb to that, but like, Yeah, I can definitely see where you're coming from. Where it's like Kevin, and then just politics that just kind of just disrupt the chapter a bit. So yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from with it. It feels even to me
0: like a little bit nitpicky, but if so, this is the biggest problem that I have with Charles and you know the book so far. I think that things are going going pretty 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 good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So the, like the pretty much the primary struggle in this chapter is the droids risking overheating despite like the you know there's a cool wind cool draft going on the temperature of the moon is pretty cool but still that's the kind of the big struggle in this chapter is the droids overloading before they can get to like the prediction phase of the array As you had mentioned earlier, Avar and Elzar do step in, kind of when things are going very bad. Hundreds of droids are dropping like flies. Avar steps in and she calms Kevin with the Force and Elzar has an idea. Avar is initially confused, but figures it's one of his experimental ideas with the Force. We'd heard, I think, when... She thought of his character for the first time, like way back in in the initial chapters of the book, that he likes to tinker with the Force. He's kind of like a scientist with the Force, trying different, you know, I guess, combinations and reactions and all that. Kind of a scientist, uh, a scientific approach to the Force. So that's what she is kind of uh, anticipating here and thinking, quote, to El Zarman what the Jedi were was nowhere near as interesting as what they could be. And I have to say, there have been times in this book where I have thought, you know, maybe El isn't necessarily my, my cup of tea. He's been warming up to me, but that is a philosophy that I can get behind right there. I love that little take right there, is that whatever they are now, there's always something more interesting that they could be. I I love that, personally.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, no, that was also another thing I was about to bring up before you brought it up, was, like, that quote. Because, like, him trying to sort of, not push the limits is the right term, but, like, sort of see how far the Jedi could go in terms of, like, their potential. Like, how far up can we go? How much higher can we go, really? And so I just think that was really interesting, and um, I want to say more, but I can't. How much higher we can go, but not in the same way that the Nihil get yes. higher. It's in a it's different, different higher. Yeah,
0: <laughs> They get high off the force, not off the
1: smash ball. Yes. <laughs> and the pills. Don't forget the pills.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, yep. The pill, which took that high to an even greater level. I was like, what, what is happening in chapter 28, man? <laughs> he does notice that Avar joins him. Uh, sitting beside him kind of giving her strength to what they are doing here he thinks quote everything was easier when she was at his side i was like oh that's that's sweet but also i see you man like it's
1: (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah that uh yeah that is oh yeah i mean
0: we already found out that even Avar would love a retirement to the lake country of Naboo with El like in one of the earlier chapters. We know that the feeling is mutual, so it's just there's some there's some buildup here and there, and so I i, I just hope it's a reality of the of the clone scene. <laughs> I think me and my guest from last episode, um, John Reimer, we predicted, unfortunately, because he I think he and I are pretty much at the same place. Like, only this is our, this is all we know in these chapters that we've read. I don't know how much he's read since then, but our prediction is that it will not become a reality and that we're banking on El Zarman uh, being the one to bite the dust out of the two of them. That is my prediction. I think it's too good to be true. I don't think their happy retirement is going to happen. And I hate myself for saying that, but that is my current prediction that it's not going to happen and that Elzar is going to go. I want it to happen. I want them to be happy together and, you know, have the quiet life that they seek. But I don't know if it's looking too good, just based on the pain of the High Republic. I
1: will say this. It doesn't go the way you think. All right, Luke Skywalker.
0: (laughs) This is not going to go the way that you think. It (laughs) really doesn't.
1: Like what you think will happen to these characters probably not the right thing like that just the story is to is taken in so many interesting directions with each of the like quote-unquote main jedi that were introduced that it's like i couldn't have predicted any of this
0: i'm glad that i will remain on my toes and that i don't know what's you really happening which is just generally speaking that's you correct, really but. don't like <laughs>
1: But yeah, just their relationship is just really cool. It's very, I mean, it's probably been talked about by others, but this is the first time I've ever really thought about it. It's like Anakin and Padme, but sort of better in terms of their dynamic. Because like, as much as we, as much as everyone loves the Anakin and Padme romance, let's be honest, it was kind of, the logistics of it weren't, it was pretty rocky. I don't know, the, the chemistry that
0: avar and elzar have it seems like on another level uh i don't know they i mean i think it helps that they kind of grew up together in yeah. the, you know in the temple like they like they have that bond through the force you know both being kind of i don't know if the, i don't know if they're a dyad in the force but it, who yeah. knows <laughs> they've got something yeah. special both like kind of emotionally but also through the force as well i think it's 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 different i think I like what they're doing here. They're pretty much moving a patch of air higher, trying to like kind of spur along the precipitation process. Um, as they say, they were, quote, nudging the air, helping it do what it wanted to do anyway, helping the individual bits of water become one. And I love that point where they're helping it do what it was going to anyway, where they're not manipulating it to their needs but they're helping it along in its natural process, which I thought was very much kind of descriptive of the light side of the Force compared to the manipulative dark side of the Force where they're not doing anything that's perverting the nature of what's supposed to happen. They're just speeding up the process, the natural process, where it seemed like that very much embodied the light instead of kind of if if they had gone about it in a different way where they were changing it to fit their needs. It felt like that was very on brand for the Jedi but also just for the light. I love that little description there where it was something that was going to happen anyway. They were just speeding it up, which I I appreciated the way that was described. Yep.
1: There. No, that was that was really good and just sort of again them helping out with Kevin's uh little project to sort of reduce it to that his project that basically would help save the republic, but like just the Force and science sort of interacting is just really cool. Different realms, kind of, you know, different, I don't know, different
0: spheres kind of colliding, making making what happens in this chapter be able to happen, where there's kind of, I guess, science and religion there, you know, kind of with the Force and the Jedi working with kind of the scientist Kevin Tarr to kind of create the outcome there. You know, different maybe things that... Wouldn't otherwise work together in in some ways kind of needed each other to make this succeed because as it happens on the simulation, they see the 34th emergence happen, which hadn't happened in the current timeline. Only 33 had happened so far. So it worked. It started predicting the future emergences. So You know, I'm surprised that, uh, you know, you had mentioned Anakin. I'm surprised that Kevin Tarr didn't go full Anakin. Like, it's (laughs) working! It's working!
1: (laughs) Oh, Oh, God, that's a good one.
0: That's how I was, but I was reading it. If, If Kevin wasn't saying it, that's what I was feeling. Just that was... The way this whole chapter was written, you know, really feeling the visceral... Kind of the kind of the raw emotions of of Kevin Tarr and the pressure that he's feeling, and then seeing seeing it work out with the Jedi and their help. and even though they're straining again to make this happen, to see it end well for them, it was just it was great. And uh, Kevin kind of ends the chapter on this uh, on this thought. quote, Kevin realized that he hadn't failed after all. He, Kevin Tarr, a farmer's son from Hetzel Prime, had sliced hyperspace. What a strange galaxy this was. And and I couldn't help but thinking, like, just wait until you meet Mari Santeca. But, you know, at the same time, it's like that one person being able to pat himself on the back there, knowing that his project, his little project, it worked. And we could breathe a sigh of relief because, I don't know, it was a happy ending to the chapter. And those have not always been present. Those have not always been very common. But... That is how Chapter Twenty Nine ends, where we can feel good about ourselves,
1: for feel once, good about what happened. For once in the High Republic, we feel pretty good. <laughs> yes, and I'm I'm fine with that. Yep, I will say that that feeling is not it's not super common in future stories. Basically, with the High Republic, hold on to the happy happiness as much as you can. Yes, I will have to write all the happy
0: moments down and every time I start to shed another tear at what happens, I will just open the book of happy moments and remind myself of the times that it yes. did work out. <laughs> because there there has to be a happy ending, right, Connor?
1: <laughs> Please?
0: Not with the way
1: phase one's looking to end. I don't know.
0: <laughs> we can't have the happy payoff, or I guess it all kind of ends up downhill. But anyway, that is another talk for another time. We can end on this happy note chapter 29 ends on a happy note this episode ends on a happy note connor thank you so much for making the time to talk about some light of the jedi talking about these chapters if the listeners wanted to hear more of your voice hear more of what you do could you let them know about knights of the nerd republic your presence online could you plug anything that you want to uh in in this space now
1: uh sure yeah um the only social media that the only public social media that I'm pretty much active on is Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Depa Banana, where you can find me just talking Star Wars and whatever else may come to my mind. You can also find me at Knights of the Nerd Republic, which is our Star Wars-specific show of the Nerd Academy podcast. We record pretty much every week. There are times where we just haven't recorded for weeks, but we have epi- our episodes when they do come out. They do come out Sundays at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we also have a bunch of other shows, our main show, Nerd Academy Podcast, where it's all like everything but Star Wars. It's pretty much everything else in Nerdum. We just have a lot of really cool shows that you want to check out just Google The Nerd Academy Podcast. And then you can find me also writing articles and stories very, 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 very slowly at sweditorig.com. I'm part of a talented and fantastic group of creative people where we are creating our own fanfic universe in Star Wars called the Star Wars Editor Universe And the big thing that I really like to tell people is that we're doing our own thing, but we're not going against what Lucasfilm has put into the canon, even though we technically could. Because, like, it's fan fiction. We can do whatever we want. And we are doing what we want, but we're still tying in both to our fanfic universe and the larger um, Star Wars universe. So that's really fun. It's been pretty... um, enthralling creatively to just tie into both universes with just little things here and there. We do have some stories uh, already out on the website, some of which are set in the High Republic. It's pretty much every era, you know, High Republic sequels, prequels, originals. We pretty much have stories published and planned pretty much for every single era. So go check those out. I do have some coming out this year. I just won't say when keep you on your toes keeping me on my
0: toes just like the higher public yes. is at every turn but listeners i will post the links to Connor's social media his work in the episode description connor again thank you so much this was a blast. this was
1: a blast just like the legacy run disaster oh god <laughs> <laughs> why because i like chaos sometimes <laughs> Oh my god. The High god. Republic has brought out the worst in me, but also the best in me. So yeah. yeah right.
0: <laughs> if those two things are possible. Oh
1: God. Yeah, no, it was it was honestly phenomenal being on. I, I just really like your structure of just going chapter by chapter and just really diving into the book so just piece by piece. I just thought that was really unique. And when you told when you told me you were gonna dive into the High Republic, I was like, yes. The best era in star wars to me at least but like again the fact that the republic is all publishing right now is just i was like he is gonna have a grand old time and then i remembered all the pain and i was like maybe he's not gonna have a grand old time it will be an adventure yes. either way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> before we close out today i'll give our next search your readings discussion question With Avar and Elzar helping out Kevin, and Tayami and her fellow Jedi helping Joss and Pika Adrin save the Legacy Run survivors, and at other moments too, we see a helping hand between science and the Force in the High Republic so far. In those moments, one couldn't have succeeded without the other. What are some examples of this that we've seen in other Star Wars content? I'll post the question to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, comment, and send your responses on any of those platforms, or you can send them via email to outerrimreadspod at gmail.com with the subject line, search your readings. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media to stay connected to the show, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash outerrimreads. Outer Reed Reads is created by Andrew Geha, it is hosted by Andrew Geha, it is edited by Connor Floyd, and it is produced by Andrew Geha as well as Simon Van Bakum. We will be back in two weeks with episode 52, so until then, sit back and enjoy. I wonder if Max Rebo has a rec-punk album out there. Let me go check.